a Highline podcast. No normal people. Hello, my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning, and this is a podcast where my co-host and wife, Dixie Lee Henning, and I prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. Hopping straight into it this week, Dixie is in the midst of recovery. She had an outpatient surgery on her hand to remove a bone spur from her knuckle, and it was intense. And the anesthesia hit her pretty hard, so she is taking a week off completely. I am here on an intro alone with you, and on an interview with my new friend Keller Paulson. But before I get to my guest, I will remind you that you can pick up a freshly roasted bag of the No Normal People coffee blend over at the shop at the Highline Network website. That is highline.network slash shop. Grab a cup of coffee. It's absolutely delicious. It might be hundreds of degrees outside in Fahrenheit for you U.S. people. Celsius? I couldn't tell you if you're listening from Bristol, England. I'm woefully undereducated on what that Celsius system gives us, even though I think we should move to it. Anyway, that is an aside for another day, I suppose. It may be hot outside, but we all continue to feel ourselves with that delicious hot coffee. And might I recommend grabbing a bag of the No Normal People Coffee Blend. And in honor of this sweltering summer, I will give you a discount code. You can go to the shop at, again, at the Highline.network website, and you may use the code KNP10SUMMER. That's KNP10SUMMER. Grab 10% off a bag of No Normal People Coffee Blend, would you? This will come fresh roasted to your door, mailed directly from Billings, Montana, the day that coffee is roasted. You are getting the freshest coffee that I could possibly give you. And we work with our absolute favorite roaster in the area, Mr. Gary Teeson over at Revel Coffee. And uh, you will not be disappointed, my friends. Speaking of the Highline Network, as you know by now, the No Normal People podcast is one third of the flagship shows. One of three with No Normal People, Ravel, and The Whiskey Bench. If I might personally recommend a couple recent good episodes, you should head on over to Ravel and grab an episode entitled Filling the Demon Gap. Run over to The Whiskey Bench and you can hear my co-hosts Kat and Stephen Torna and I gripe about lawn care and how much, we, how much water and how much money we as Americans spend on our lawns, especially in a hot summer like this. It's a very fun episode. I would personally recommend it. I would also tell you to go to the newest addition to the Highline Media Network. That is the Into Podcast, where you can grab a couple episodes, maybe have a heart-wrenching conversation as they play the God Committee game, or you could keep it light and listen to an hour plus of poop stories. And speaking of podcasts, you ought to be listening to my guest today, Mr. Keller Paulson, hosts his very own show based right here in Billings, Montana, 
This is, of course, Keller's Couch. My new friend Keller is a prolific musician, podcaster, communicator, comedian, and all-around fantastic conversation partner. I had such a wonderful time getting to know Keller. It was a blast to talk to another podcaster. You'll hear it in the audio quality, my friends. Enjoy the podcast that sounds as if we're in the same room, but we are not. Keller works at the wonderful eatery, Harper Madison, near downtown Billings, providing some of the most delicious treats and the most delicious coffee, again from our friend Gary at Revel, to the community of Billings. He also serves up a healthy dose of comedy through both his podcast, Keller's Couch, and running the Slapstick Improv Group here in Billings, Montana. Keller and I get to all sorts of stuff, including growing up in Casper, Wyoming, going to school in Colorado. We take a deep dive on the influential drummers we share in our lives as we grew up being musicians. And we talk about comedy. I think Keller is taking me one step closer toward picking up a microphone in front of people and trying maybe five minutes of stand-up comedy. It is one thing, my friends, to podcast. It is another thing entirely to pick up that mic and make jokes in front of friends. And for that, I will respect Keller very much forever. And with that, I dare delay no more. Please enjoy my conversation with my friend, Keller Paulson. All right. Well, we are into it, my friend. We are going to get started with some (laughs) rapid fire questions at the beginning of my podcast. Let's do it. These are either or from the gut. No need to overthink them. So here we go. Passenger or driver? Driver. East coast or west coast? Oh, man. I love the east coast, but I'm going to say west coast. It's kind of a mean question, I know. (laughs) East coast for hip hop. I'll say that. Change or consistency? Change. Video games or board games? Board games. Handshakes or hugs? Oh, I'm going to say hugs, but there's a lot of beauty in a handshake. Oh, absolutely. It's a lost art at this point. Yeah. Homebody or free spirit? Man, honestly, I'm a homebody. (laughs) Me too. Excellent. Spender or saver? I guess I'm a saver. Do you call it soda or pop? Pop. Books or movies? Movies. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Excellent. The icebreakers now are more open-ended. You can answer however you want. Take your time. No need to go like from the gut. Um, Let's start with, do you think winning the lottery is a good thing or a bad thing? I think it could be a very good thing. I think um, there's something with power, a power dynamic, you know, mm. I feel like someone getting a big chunk of change, it can, uh, it can mess with their psyche a little bit. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to think positively and I'm going to say it's a good thing. What was the best gift you've ever received that you can remember? Oh man, that's a good question. You know, honestly, I'm, I I took the love language quiz and that's literally mm-hmm. my last one, like zero out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I, I, I will say, I will say the best gift I can get from someone is like their honesty. And I love, uh, I'm a words of affirmation guy. Wow. So I love the way you reframed that. That was so good. Yeah. So I think the best gift is like people who have like very real, honest, authentic, like heart to hearts with me. That's, I love that. Wow. That's great. I love that. Actually, I have to say just like a week ago, Pam Kimmick, who I work with, was just so affirming in what I've been doing and it made me feel so whole. Mm. And that's a pretty great gift. That's amazing. Shout out Pam. Absolutely. Pam. What was your first job? <laughs> I was a sweeper, uh, which is like janitorial. Mm-hmm. I was uh, 12 years old. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, yeah, right? How's that legal? This was in the state of Wyoming. I was at my junior high school that my dad taught at. I would finish up school and then he would drive me to this other junior high school where my mom worked at. Mm. And I would do three hours of janitorial stuff. And then she would take me home. And I did that from like 12 to 14. Wow. Minimum wage where you set up with like a W-2 and everything. Everything, man. And it was, it was. At 12? That's crazy. Yeah. State of Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) I think if I remember right, I think I was getting paid like five something an hour. Oh my. Oh my. All right. Yeah. It was, I remember it was really, really low. But when you're 12, that's a ton of money. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was great. That's so good. What is your favorite dine-in restaurant? Oof. Here in Billings, I would say I really love going to the field house. Mm. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to say like chain restaurant style, This is so trashy, but I love Waffle House. (laughs) Yes. Waffle House. (laughs) Yes. That's or just like any any just horrid diner, you know? Right. What are we talking? Like a Denny's or a Perkins or something? Yeah, like Denny's Perkins. Man, I just love that. Yeah. That's a that's definitely a vibe for the food. Like the menu is like twenty pages long. <laughs> you can order like yes. seafood yeah. and also scrambled eggs in the middle of the night. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 100%. That's that's, so good. that's what I'm about, man. I love that. That's great. What are <laughs> foods you will never eat? Uh, um, you know, I'm I'm pretty open and I love uh I love eating, but when I was in 6th grade, we had a student teacher who uh went to Egypt couple times. Whoa. All but right. while he was there, his wife had spider soup. Uh, and um, yeah, he said it was soup with like literally like you could just see like the spider legs on top. They're just like floating. Oh, no, um, no. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think I would do that. Yeah. I think I think that's very wise. <laughs> Yikes. What is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Okay, this one I actually thought about, and I thought really long and hard about. Great. Just so you know. So I don't know if you did this. I don't know if this was a thing or if it was like just at the elementary school I went to. But early 2000s, 
Um, so I was in sixth grade. This was when like you would wear like a long white sleeve shirt and then put a t-shirt over it, you know? Oh my gosh. Yes. The layering of the early 2000s, late nineties. Yeah, dude. (laughs) But even worse. So my buddies would wear like a white shirt and then like a t-shirt and then they would wear a shirt over it and then gently pull like the white t-shirt underneath. So on the sleeves, you could see the white hanging out. Same with around the neck. And I did that, but my undershirts were always color coordinated with like the font on my main shirt. Brilliant. So no, I think that, I, I, think, I, think that I think that was the worst fashion trip. Dude, I absolutely did the same. I, it was always white undershirts for me though. I never color coordinated. I think that, you elevated the look, yeah. whereas me, I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just wearing a, uh, yeah, the the white t-shirt under like a band shirt, right? Yeah, which that was like, that looked pretty sweet to be honest. I still kind of think, think the it color does. Color coordinating, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the color coordinating. That's very good. What is your biggest pet peeve? I had a hard time trying to come up with one. I. One thing, this isn't necessarily a pet peeve, but one thing I really hate is, um, or I should say dislike, are people who are dishonest or like, you could tell that they're just full of it. Mm, Yeah. I think that is one of my biggest. Who would you call your best friend? Um, man, honestly, I've been, (laughs) this is kind of sad. I've been so like focused on my own stuff that I feel like I haven't been doing a good job at like spending time with friends. Oh yeah. So I would say right now, you know, probably myself, (laughs) but I, uh, like Grant Jones is a really close friend of mine Mm. and, uh, Sydney Austin. I would say those are my two closest friends right now. That's great. Shout out. Grant and Sydney. Very good. Do you have a favorite failure? Maybe something that like set you up for a future success or maybe a, something that taught you a lesson? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've had a life full of those like happy accidents mm-hmm. type failures. I I feel like one... <laughs> Re like kind of the most recent that has been the most impactful a couple of years ago was all around the same time. All of these things in my life kind of culminated to a head that made me kind of change what I was doing. But like, so one, I, I feel like one of the biggest failures was, um, this, this band I was playing in that, I don't know. We all kind of just got, mad at each other and i mm. i don't know it kind of that that kind of changed my perception of like what my goals were in terms of being a professional musician oh wow yeah was some of the calculation going in your mind like do i value like pursuing the music or like maintaining the relationships with these people that are my friends but now we're finding ourselves in a lot of conflict. Was that some of what was going on? Yeah, definitely. And it was, um, 
like I feel like I do a pretty good job at keeping a uh, separation when I need to between like personal and professional. Mm, mm-hmm. And I feel like that wasn't the case in this scenario because uh, some things had gotten so personal um, oh, that it yeah. was basically like a falling out and that sent a new trajectory for me in terms of like things that I chose to pursue. Wow. I appreciate the answer there. Um, finally for the icebreakers, when you were little, what did you tell people you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, I wanted to be on whose line is it anyway, or on Saturday night live (laughs) and excellent. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, I think I, I think I would like seriously was like, I am going to be Mike Myers. <laughs> I am going to build I my will life be to Austin be like, Powers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so excellent. Yes. I feel like that tells me a lot about who you were, <laughs> even as a little guy. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. That, oh, that's so good. All right. Well, that is the end of the, the rapid fire and the icebreakers. Woo! Keller Paulson, thank you so much for being on No Normal People. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. I can't, I've had, I'm having the experience of, I've been listening to your podcast for a good number of months now and like caught up yeah. on the interviews you've done and, and all the, the improv stuff. And it, I'm having one of those, wow, I'm actually talking with him now, you know? That's a very oh, weird experience man. when you get to talk to a podcaster you follow for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have to say I really appreciate it and am humbled by it, Stephen. You're such a well-spoken, nice guy, and I love all the stuff you were doing. And uh, just the fact that you spent some of your own time checking out my stuff made me very, I, I felt very warmed. Oh, wow. Thank you. There's so, the affirmation right there. Yeah. I will. I, I give that I away know, for days. That is, I love giving that type of stuff <laughs> away. Absolutely. Well, you're the man. So thank you for being on the show. I'm very excited for this. Would you, let's begin. Would you tell me about uh, where you grew up and what your family was like growing up with as little or as much detail as you prefer? Sure. So I'm born and raised in Casper, Wyoming, which is right smack dab in the middle of the state. And, um, I was there until I was 18 and I was, you know, a playful kid, like always outside type of guy. I was really attracted to extreme sports and I played all sports, but extreme sports. So I did a lot of like skateboarding and snowboarding Mm, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents, we lived in a few different houses and they split up when I was 11 Mm. and let's see, I'm trying to think when I was like in first grade, we moved into this new, like newer development area neighborhood that since it was newer, all these houses were freshly built. All the people that lived in there were like families. So every single house had like a kid and um, there weren't a lot of houses there. So we all just like all these kids just played outside all the time. Ooh, that's so good. Yeah. And we lived next to this valley and we would like go 
like BMX down there. And then when it snowed, like we would make, you know, jumps and snowboard down there and stuff. And so I did a lot of that stuff. Do you have any siblings? Oh yeah, I do. I've got, uh, one sister. She's two years older than me and Mm -hmm. we hated each other as kids. (laughs) Oh Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until we were in high school that we became friends. And I remember the exact moment I was a sophomore. So in Casper, elementary was K through six. Junior high was Hmm. seven through nine. Whoa. And high school was 10 through 12. Okay. That's different. Yeah. From what I've heard. Right. Yeah. So my first year in high school was a sophomore and um, I went to this party and got real drunk and passed out and someone shaved off one of my eyebrows. Oh my God. <laughs> and I, f- I finally like found out who it was. It was this girl named Shandell. And not only did she do that, but then she kept like taunting me and like kind of bullying me after that. Oh. And I was like, I'm a guy. I can't do anything about this. Like I can't confront this girl. Yeah. You don't prank back. You don't hit back. Right. Totally. I had told my sister about this. And again, my sister and I were like not super close friends at this time. Mm. Told my sister about this incident. And one day in school, you know, the bell rings, it's passing period. I'm rocking one eyebrow. (laughs) My sister and I, end up like walking next to each other in the hall and we both are going up this staircase and it's like packed, you know, like totally full of kids in passing period. We're going up these stairs and Shandell is coming down and we pass each other. And I was like, Kim, Kim's my sister. I was like, Kim, that's her. And she, at this point we had like higher ground. My sister turns around and she goes, Shandell, <laughs> you f- uh, can I cuss on this? Go for it. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Shandell, if you fuck with my brother again, I'm going to kick your ass. And she like freaks out and runs off. And literally everyone in this, in this stairwell is just like, yeah, Kim. Hell yeah. <laughs> and it was literally after that, we were like, bros best of friends yeah yeah Yeah. you activated like the the older sibling like guard position gotta stick up for the little bro totally wow yeah it's the classic like no one could kick my little brother's ass except me right right yes (laughs) that's my job if it's anyone's job oh man (laughs) that's so good yeah (laughs) dude it was and my sister is her name's Kimberly mm-hmm. and in the family, she has a nickname. Uh, everyone calls her Burley because she's loud. Yeah. And also she just like, like she just kicks ass. And I don't mean like she kicks ass like she's cool. I mean, she like she would win a bar fight. <laughs> I think that counts as kicks ass in both senses. <laughs> if you can win a bar fight. You're yeah. Cool, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's very clear that I'm the sensitive one. Sure. Yeah. The little bro. Right. Yeah. And that's probably where the, uh, (laughs) you felt very affirmed by your sister standing up for you. That's where that started. What a gift. 
Yeah, that was the greatest gift. I'm work- right yeah, there. I'm just working on the callbacks at this point. Oh, that's so good. So <laughs> as you're growing up, like this teenage phase, like in high school now, what kind of things were you getting up to in high school? Like extreme sports persisted, but were you part of like any extracurricular activities through the school? Um. Yeah, so I played... So th- sorry, this is uh, going back a little bit. But oh, that's all right. In junior high, when when I hit puberty, I went through this growth spurt and had the worst growing pains. So oh, I wow. ended up quitting like all the sports that I was playing, and that included skateboarding, which I was like an avid skater. Mm. So I still snowboarded and stuff, but so around that time, I. Started hanging out with the wrong people. And, Uh-oh. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I had a year that I was hanging out with, like, you know, I was, like, 14, and I was hanging out with, like, 20-some-year-olds who were, like, drug dealers and stuff. and, and uh, Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, like, really, like, not, not a shining moment in my life. And then um, I got into some some trouble with the police, and... Like kind of right after that, I kind of quit. I quit hanging out with those people. Um, and nice. Started good, hanging out with like good call. My yeah. Started hanging out with like my old previous friends. Mm-hmm. But in high school, man, honestly, I kind of I I kind of drifted between cliques because I was like I was like a partier. Like I literally just lived for the weekend to like just have fun and drink with people. Mm, Yeah. But at the same time, I was like a straight A student. And I, you know, like when I was in high school, I took all these college courses and they were all music courses. Wow. These are not stereotypes Um, that typically overlap. That's very interesting. Yeah. And, and like, I would like get like band nerds, you know, not to call them band nerds, but I would like invite band nerds to these parties that like, (laughs) you know, all the popular kids were were having, you know, and I was just kind of friends with everyone. You were the in, the foot in the door. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Monday through Friday, I was like a super clean cut kid, you know, Dean's on a roll and doing all these college, uh, like I, I, I started playing in the Casper College Percussion Ensemble when I was like in eighth grade. Whoa, that's um, so cool. Nice. Yeah, it was great. It was cool to play with like some legit classical percussionists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did that. And then, you know, on the weekends, I just tried to drink beer. (laughs) There you go. That was the high school right there. High school experience. That was it. But I was all about just like having fun, you know, like I and I was super goofy, too. Like I just loved making my friends laugh. Yeah. I can't imagine anyone, if anyone has listened to your podcast, which we will certainly talk about in a while, but uh, if they've heard any of the uh, the improv episodes with your friends, like, yeah, I, that's a pretty good snapshot of what, I, what I've learned about you this far. <laughs> it's funny, it's funny, not, I, I know you want to get into it later, but it's just funny the uh, the contrast between like the interviews. I feel like I end up getting so serious with people, oh, yeah. and then the the improv episodes are like the most like they're pretty embarrassing how silly they are. 
but I love that con I, I really love the contrast in your podcast feed though. I I love that you can go from an improv episode and then you're talking like deep stuff with Matt Blakesley for two hours. Yeah. Or Ken yeah. Palmer. Like that episode like literally made me cry a couple times oh, from the powerful things Ken had to share. And I was just like Man, only Keller's podcast could do an improv <laughs> episode and then have Ken on <laughs> and just pull me through this roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that was to date. That's been my favorite for sure. I think it deserves to be. That was, yes. Well done. Well done, sir. But <laughs> we, we shall return to the couch, I promise. Yes, yes, yes. So after high school, um, did you go straight to college? So, um, yeah, I did, but Stephen, my life is, uh, just f- full of the most ridiculous stories. So the, the night I graduated high school and seniors, I'm sure it was like this for you as well, but seniors were let out like a week early Yep. than earlier than everyone else. Yep. And then you felt and, like uh, royalty coming in for the graduation rehearsal. 100%. And my friends and I were literally partying every single night. And I remember my best friend, Devin, he and I were like, have been best friends since first grade. We, we literally every single night that week, we're like up until the sunrise. Oh my God. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. 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 Every single night, you know? All right. And I remember graduation. Oh, this is so funny. So graduation, the night I actually did the ceremony and got my diploma I got a DUI and went to jail for a week. Oh my. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And yeah. And, um, I, (laughs) I had auditioned to a bunch of schools for music. I had like kind of picked which one I wanted to go to. And then I got this, (laughs) I got this DUI. That uh, that hurts. That doesn't look great to a college, I'm sure. Yeah. And I um, ended up going to a community college in Wyoming, state in state for my first two years. Mm-hmm. But it was, man, that summer in between was just so horrible. I thought it was going to be so great. And everyone was going to the lake and stuff. And I was just working doubles, like 60 hours a week oh, just wow. to pay off this DUI. Wow. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Okay, so in yeah, a way, pretty, you did go straight to college because you had the summer I, I and did. then started community college that next semester. But it wasn't the dream school. It wasn't the school you thought you were going to be headed to. And it was a miserable summer compared to a lot of people. The summer Correct. between high school and college is like the glory days, you know? Yeah. Wow. And that was another one of those like happy, happy accidents, like a, a failure that turned out for the best because I... um <clears throat> there was a great drummer who's from New York. His name's Ronnie Bedford. And I had known him since I was 13, but he, he retired and he retired out in Powell, Wyoming and taught at Northwest college, which is that community college I went to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and studied with him and he and I like had a really great relationship even before I moved up there, but we really bonded and I ended up being his last student and I was there you know, I was there when he passed away and, mm, and, uh, wow. but th- like, that was really good for me because it, I got very serious about music and 
at the time, like institutions were changing from like four year programs to five year programs. Yeah. So even on the, yeah, even on the small scale level of a community college, the, the music degree went from a two year degree to kind of like a, like everyone was doing it in three years. Hmm. And I was just so driven and I got out in two, but it like my last two semesters, I took 21 credits and then I took 24 and a half credits, which, um, yeah, for those who don't, yeah, for those who don't know, like 12 credits is the minimum for like being a full-time student. So I was literally doing double that. Wowzers. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And I busted ass and auditioned and transferred down to CSU in Fort Collins, Colorado. The percussion studio down there is really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, I think they had like two open, like it's capped. They only have 20 students in the percussion area. And uh, I think they only had like two spots open when I auditioned and, and I got in and yeah, it was great, man. I, you know, honed in my classical chops and then started playing, uh, hitting the Colorado jazz scene really hard, which was, uh, really huge for me. I feel like I drum set wise, that was like when I was like the most focused and and, Mm, uh, yeah, really on it. Wow. So you're in this like 20 person that almost sounds kind of like a conservatory setup, you know, like it's limited access, but it's very like intense focused access to those instructors and those professors. Totally. So good. Yeah. And in CSU, yeah, CSU kind of gets forgotten, I feel like, because CU Boulder is a big school just in general. Totally. And then UNC, which is in Greeley, Colorado, is is like in the front range, really known for its jazz program. Mm-hmm. And really, I feel like CSU, like my experience at CSU was both classically and in, in jazz. I don't know. It's like some of the heaviest players I know. Yeah. It was a good spot for me to be during that time for sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So you graduate that program and was that another two years out in Colorado? Um, two and a half just because transferring kind of sent me back, uh, once. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those credits can do that. But you know, honestly, graduating in the fall was, I loved way more actually. Oh, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't have like the summer to like kind of panic about what I was going to do and stuff, you know? And since it was like in the fall in December, I kind of felt like my life just continued. I don't know. There was no like, uh, like big stress Hmm. in. That's pretty cool. That I think I would have put on myself had I graduated in the spring. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially because the entire like educational complex is kind of built around like it's summertime, go take a break, go recharge, come back in the fall. Or if you graduate, it's like it, like the entire culture is built around graduations for a few months. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, uh, before had I graduated in the spring, I feel like I would have just gone straight to another school and gotten a master's. Oh, and, um, okay. Yeah. And I'm, I kind of have a, now I have beef with like the college monopoly. Yeah. The industrial complex. Yeah. So I like, I'm really glad that I didn't go to pursue a master's. And I think it's only because I graduated in the fall. Wow. I like that level of 
like self-awareness and introspection to like be able to pinpoint that. I think that's pretty wise. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like that, mm. especially like pursuing a master's degree, I don't think it's, it's definitely not just a music thing, but it doesn't help the music program just because like in the same way, the undergrad is the thing you do after high school. I think the whole system is kind of turned into like, well, you have the undergrad, but that's not good enough for you to get the job you really want. So now just, yep. it's the next thing to do is go get a master's and do grades. What? Yep. 17 through 21 or something like, yeah, it's just insane. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I think there's like, I am all about education, mm -hmm. but the, yeah, what you were saying, like the, the complex of the, in a capitalistic way of colleges and universities, I don't like, like, for instance, I, I got the undergrad mm -hmm. and, you know, I wanted to teach at a college and if I wanted to do that, basically like most places require a master's, but really they only look at candidates who have doctorates. Jeez. And I was just like, man, like, I don't want to just go to, you know, keep going to school for the same shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I will continue to study percussion and drums and music theory and, and just until yeah, you have yeah. a piece of paper that proves that you're talented enough to teach other students the same thing. Totally. And honestly, um, and I know that there's not a lot of people like this, but to kind of point at that system, there's a real separation between academics who work in academia, specifically in music and actual working musicians. Oh, like, yes. Uh, Talk about that some more, please. Yeah, there's just like this weird... Well, one, it's very political in academia. Whereas like, if you want to be a musician and you have chops, like just go play, you know? And really the <laughs> thing... I mean, the streets are your university, really. And it's just funny because I've seen so many like amazingly talented musicians not be able to get like college teaching gigs because one, they don't have the educational background for it or two, they're not like chumming it up with those who are in academia that will hire them. And it's one of those, like, like you scratch my back, I'll, I'll scratch yours, you know, like, yeah, even I've, I've experienced this so many times where it's like, you know, someone will hire me and it's like these people in academia, like they'll hire me for a gig, you know, mm. and then if I don't hire them, it's, it's like a big deal, you know? Yeah. Another thing too is like, there's just like people like I had already been playing professionally before I went to college. Mm -hmm. You know, there were a lot of times where I, I'd like missed school because I was you know, gigging in like Jackson hole the night before or something like that. So I was kind of used to that professional, like gigging lifestyle. And a lot of the people who were going to school for music hadn't really done any of that before. And mm. it just kind of blew my mind that like a lot of these kids had this idea that it's like, well, I'll get the degree and then I'll gig, you know, like I'll get the degree first and then gigs will come. And, um, just that, yeah, that ideology just blew me. Right. Well, it's not how the music economy works. 
Totally. And then there's a lot of these professors who are those kids grown up teaching at this institution who kind of perpetuate that style of thought, you know? Mm, And just being someone who's like, you know, I had been gigging and seeing like some of these professors that are just like, man, they are just blowing smoke out of their ass. And a lot of these kids are eating it up. And (laughs) those are going to be the future band directors who are going to do the same thing, you know, like it's this weird, vicious cycle. You've seen the movie Whiplash with J.K. Simmons. Dude, I I literally just finally watched it over the pandemic. No way. Like what? Everything was shut down. Oh, because I, I knew if I watched it when it first came out, I would just be like, I would just hate it. Oh, OK. Then and what did you think about it last year? So I'm a lot more understanding of, you know, not everything's going to be accurate from, from like a band director right. uh, viewpoint and stuff. So I have to say that movie was amazing. Now, from a realistic level, I have never and I don't think anyone has ever experienced that sort of situation <laughs> in um, in like a collegiate jazz ensemble like throwing the chair over your head and like drilling the drummers totally. until they're bleeding all over the snare drums and <laughs> yeah totally like like this really traumatic abusive relationship yeah the jk simmons character though man i think what what you have me thinking of throughout this this whole part of our conversation is the jk simmons character he's like he's the professor that's doing the thing But he's like, he's kind of showing them what the real world of gigging is like. Like, you're going to be in contact with just absolute asshole directors and guys who are like fronting bands. And I think the moment where like he gets kicked out of school and he just goes to that club and he sees him playing, like he sees his ex-professor playing like that. I feel like in, in some ways that is more the climax of the movie than just the badass concert that they put on at the end. And there's, yeah, you know, because like this kid, he just, he witnesses his professor. He's like, okay, he kind of came down off the mountain a little bit. And now he's, he's just gigging. He's, he's in the thick of it. Kind of like I am too, you know? Yep. Ooh. Yeah. I, I agree, man. And actually I never thought of it that way. The, like the gigging, the actual gigging musician who's like teaching. Mm-hmm. I, Totally see that. That's a very nice um, perception. I'm glad you've seen it. I'm glad you like it too, because it's been one of my top five favorite movies for like half a decade at this point. I thought it was so good. I, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's amazing and well-deserved of all the, uh, all the, you know, accolades they received. (laughs) I have to say a film that came out around the same time that I was really nerdy about Particularly because the drumming was Birdman, um, which is thank you, Michael Keaton, uh, Jonah Hill. I think is in it. Is it Jonah Hill? No, Zach Galifianakis. There you go. Yeah, or is it Jonah Hill? Um, It's Zach. Now I'm confused. And (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's Zach Galifianakis, right? Edward Norton and just a, a really great cast. But the the whole soundtrack is just drums, and it's just this one drummer. Antonio Sanchez, who plays drums with Pat Metheny, 
but it's amazing. I read this huge article on it and, um, hmm. so this is, this is just nerdy. I'm going to get nerdy real quick, but please in the movie, there are three different scenes where there's like a street drummer playing and the camera like pans across him. And I guess Antonio, like they filmed the movie before the soundtrack and Antonio Sanchez was on tour and couldn't make those filming dates. So he called a sub and he got Nate Smith, who is like kind of Instagram famous now. He plays with like, uh, like Wolfpack and yeah. a bunch of people like that now. Anyway, so Nate Smith is the drummer in the movie and Antonio Sanchez had to like learn what Nate Smith was playing in these scenes and then work it into the soundtrack as the camera like pans across. So Antonio Sanchez is like playing his own thing. Camera pans across the drummer and then he starts playing that stuff. Oh my god. Goes gosh. across and then he goes back into what he was. Yeah. It's like really, I don't know. It's just a really amazing film. That's, dedi- that's dedication. Cause we've all had that infuriating moment. Uh, best example I can think of is in uh, Back to the Future when he starts playing Johnny Be Good up on the stage and you hear the drummer doing something and it's like, he's not even hitting the hi-hat. He's using the ride symbol, you <laughs> idiots. Like, how do you get this yep, so wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate, yeah. I detest that kind of stuff. Oh, man. It's just all over the place in, in TV and film. I know. It's like, man, you we can get detailed about However, like all these other things, but I feel like it's oft overlooked when there's a drum set that you actually make the soundtrack, make the actor look like he's playing the thing that you're hearing. Man, I love it when you're watching like something like that and the drummer is like in the video, they're like playing a fill, but then the soundtrack is just like they're still playing time That's the or vice versa, you know, and it's just that's like the worst version of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how do you miss right. that? Right. Editing, baby. Editing all the soundtrack gripes. These are very good. Um, <laughs> who were your like drum gods growing up? Like who were the guys you were seeking out recordings for and reading interviews and magazines and mm. stuff? Yeah. You know, the the first one I can really remember was Mitch Mitchell, who is the drummer for the Jimi Hendrix experience. Oh yeah. Yeah, I just loved it because, like, he literally sounds like a jazz drummer who's playing rock. Hmm. And even, like, his set looks like it. Like, the even the angle of his cymbals and stuff. And, and he plays with, like, two ride cymbals, you know. So Mitch Mitchell was the first. I really got into John Bonham, of course, who was uh, the drummer for Led yep. Zeppelin. Classic with the huge I, um, cannons for drums, those acrylics that were yes, just enormous. Dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah man john john i mean honestly if people don't know who john bonham is look this dude yeah up. with uh, the 15 guy, inch hats too just powerhouse yes. like truly for rock drumming like a pioneer man like this guy is great yeah absolutely but i will say and to this day it's still this person i i would like rip cds from the public library in casper just rip it on my computer and i got this cd called mood swing and it's uh by this cat uh named joshua redman it was the joshua redman quartet he plays tenor sax and to this day it's probably one of my favorite jazz records but it's him on tenor sax 
Christian McBride on bass, who's uh, a powerhouse of a mm. bass player. Brad Meldow on piano, who um, I always call like the modern day Bill Evans. Um, Brad Meldow is my favorite piano player. And then the drummer, Brian Blade, which one, what an amazing name. Right. That's power. That's a powerful name. You love to shake a hand and be like, my name is Brian Blade. That's so good. Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. And he's the most musical and interesting drummer I've ever heard. Hmm. And like I said today, he's still my favorite drummer. I've met him so many times and he's the nicest human I've ever met. Oh, wow. That's so Um, good. I've never heard of him. I, I'm going to have to look up this record is what I'm going to have to do. Yeah, man. He's he's played with like Daniel Lenoir a lot, who was like the producer for like U2's biggest albums. He's played oh. with Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell. I mean, he's primarily a jazz drummer, but he's he's done a lot of stuff. Right. Even even just checking out like videos of Brian Blade, like watching him drum is entertaining in its own just because he's so like emotive and like he's really living what he's playing. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, Which, totally. I don't know. And and honestly, I definitely like in high school copped a lot of that. Like I was I did whatever I could to play and sound like Brian Blade. Um Man, but what a better I don't think there's a better way to learn your own voice on the kit than to emulate the guys that you kinda idolize, you know, like for me, my dad raised me on a bunch yeah. of big name studio musicians. So I was listening to a lot of like Toto with Jeff Bercaro on drums, pretty much any record we could yeah. find with like Vinnie Caliuta or Dave Weckl, even Dude, Vinny. Like all these, those huge names, you know, like Peter Erskine for yeah. some, some classic jazz. Those were the things yeah. it was like my dad and I would find even like fills on a Toto record that we were really into. And we would, we had this big whiteboard, uh, with musical staff across it. And we would just, we would just write out the fill. And then we would, we had our kits set up like dueling style, like bass drums facing each other. And we would just trade fours yeah. and we would just practice incorporating the next Jeff Percaro fill that we were obsessed with. And like, man, I Dude, just, that is so awesome. That was more, I, I think, cause I, I went to school for. I did. I was a music major for like a semester here at Rocky and Billings. Um, yeah. And I, I eventually dropped that cause I didn't feel like it was teaching me all that much. You know, like I felt like I had, I had more of a musical education listening to records, playing with my dad and like just going to do the thing rather than like sitting down and studying music theory, which there's value in of course, but for what yeah. I was interested in, even the stuff like in college, they put me into percussion lessons which I was okay with but I didn't like you know like uh, more power to the people who want to go like the classical direction but I was never the one that was interested in learning like like getting my marimba chops down or, totally. or any, like I, I literally like the entire lesson I was always just like eyeballing the drum set like can we can we move over there now please like this is my first love and I don't yeah. I just don't want this you know yeah no, I feel you, man. Actually, I um, I kind of, even though I have the music degree and stuff, I think, um, I and you know, I ta- I've been teaching since I was fifteen to mm-hmm. um, private lessons, 
So I always tell people like you should do three things an equal amount of time, listening, practicing, and performing. Now, none of that has anything to do with academia. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? very true. Yes. I don't know, man. Like the, I even tell all my kids too, like the best, literally the best way to learn and the quickest way to learn. Um, I mean, if you have fundamentals down is literally to do what you and your dad did and just learn from mm-hmm. records because it's one thing to like practice to a metronome. Great. You're learning how to keep time, but it's another thing when you're like actually playing the same thing that like to the record that this pro is doing, that's better than playing to a metronome. Like you're learning your time, you're working on feel and groove. And then on top of that, you're working on musicality and like your blend within the ensemble. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, uh, the biggest lesson for me, um, listening to what my dad was having me listen to was sometimes like keeping time doesn't have to be like keeping time doesn't have to be boring. And sometimes too much of a fill ruins what you as a group are making. Like sometimes simple is better, you know? Totally. Yeah. And that was, that was very valuable to me. Cause I just wanted to be the guy like double strokes all over the place. And like, I, I definitely went through like a double bass drum <laughs> phase, you know, very much wanting to Dude, get in yeah. on that action, but Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just the, the process of a maturing musician and just, you're introduced to things and you're like, I'm going to do that for a while. And then you, you kind of step back and you realize like, man, I was kind of hogging everything about that night. And that kind of makes me sad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> man, it's, it takes a very like wise person because being a drummer, you're literally in the driver's seat and can control so much. You stick out so much. 100%. And I don't know, having the maturity to like understand your role in a specific song, Mm. in an ensemble is huge, man. And, um, yeah, I don't know. There's so much, so much power to that. You know, I I forget what the song is. I am going to get in contact with my dad and see if I can get it. And then I'll text it to you. Cause I, growing up, basically what taught me this lesson was he found a track of like Vinny in the studio Honestly, I couldn't tell you who the artist was, like the singer-songwriter or anything. I just knew it was Vinny on mm-hmm. drums. And like five-minute song, beginning to end, zero fills. Like literally he changed nothing yes. from bar one to the very end. And somehow it was the most compelling yes. track I'd ever heard. Like no cymbals on one. Dude. No like little flourish on the hi-hat. It was if you mapped two bars... And just put repeats around it. That was what Vinny played. And for some reason, I was just like. The same thing. This was the best performance I think I've ever heard. Man. (laughs) I love that. I think, you know, one drummer who is, I think, overlooked a lot in the drummer world who is just like that is Lee Von Helm, who played and sang for the band. Mm. And, um, dude, honestly, he's got the deepest pocket. Like, he is to me like who Steve Jordan is today. <laughs> and so good. Um, yeah. Like for instance, the weight is there. Or wait, no, I'm not, not the weight. I shall be released, which is a Bob Dylan song. Or maybe it's a, 
uh, an old sacred song. I don't know, mm. but Bob Dylan did it. Mm-hmm. And then the band did it. And, um, on the chorus, all leave on helm does is like the bass drum and the snare, but not even just the snare. He's like, he's pulling on the snare beads with his finger underneath the snare. Whoa. And that's the what? chorus. What? Yeah. And it's like, honestly, when you listen to the song, it's like, it's the perfect thing. Like it couldn't have been done any other way. Right. You know, right. man, I love, I love the way you can start talking about musicians and I'm sure we could do this for drummers the rest of the time if we wanted to, but like <laughs> you, you, t- you start talking about drummers and it's like the wisdom level of a musician behind the kit is more is like these drummers aren't thinking about what can I bring to the song, but it's, it's more like, what can I let, what can I allowed or what can I allow to be played through me? Like they're just trying to find yes the right thing and they just become like a channel to it. And they're just like, here are my arms and legs. The music will flow, you know? Yeah. It's very like, it's very, yeah. uh, 100% like, like Victor Wooten's book about music. Um, mm. it kind of has that, yeah. that energy to it. Right. Totally, man. And there's, there is a, I feel like the arts in general, you kind of have to be a little bit of like a philosopher because you are kind of like constantly looking at your role and how you fit in with everything, you know? Yeah. But, but, but yeah, with like a drummer, especially cause it's like, I don't know, like a lot of people just assume like, yeah, you just play a beat, you know? Which yeah. is not wrong. Right. Like, oh, you're a drummer because you're not good enough to play notes on a piano. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, but also kind of true. <laughs> but also, oh, man, I remember starting piano lessons in college and discovering that like where I normally ho- hold a stick. I was like, wait, there's five independent things at the end of my arm. <laughs> like oh. trying to learn, trying to learn piano is just bonkers for me i was like wait yeah yeah yeah. these move on their own too yeah that was i definitely like no i only use my uh my pointer and my middle finger and thumb yeah yeah you know and get the get the nice support for a nice open (laughs) relaxed grip support with the those back fingers yes oh my gosh okay well Uh, i'm sure we could talk about drumming for another four hours if we wanted to but I have other things I'm curious to ask we're going to take a quick break and be right back to our conversation This episode of No Normal People is brought to you by the No Normal People Coffee Blend in partnership with Revel Coffee in Billings, Montana. This bright and complex coffee will come fresh roasted to your door for you to enjoy the delicious symphony of citrus, berry, spice, and chocolate notes. Visit highline.network shop to enjoy a cup of coffee as normal as our podcast guests. No Normal People is supported by our generous patrons who joined us at patreon.com slash nopeoplepod. You too can join the Normal People community to gain access to our private Discord, merch store discounts, and monthly bonus episodes. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. 
If you find this podcast valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. And be sure to visit our page at Highline.network where you can sign up for our email newsletter called The Three Thought Thing. No Normal People is a proud founding member of the Highline Media Network. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. I didn't know that's what that was yeah, called, dude. I feel like an ignorant that's pretty slut. cool. <laughs> well, you ignorant. You said slut. it. I yeah. didn't. Isn't that a Dwight? Isn't that a? Isn't that it an office most quote? Is. So <laughs> okay. Let's do a little math here. The city is spending water on a single clover leaf per year. It's 16 mm-hmm. acres. There's 43,560 square feet in an acre. So take 43,560 mm-hmm. times 16 to get the number of acres. Now let's take the number where we're spending. We're using 37 gallons per square foot a year. No, no, don't do the math. I'm doing the math, and I'm going to tell you (laughs) that a city is using 25,787,520 gallons of water on a goddamn clover leaf every year. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) Let's get back to our conversation. We diverged all the way back from basically finishing college in your life yes this is a huge question but is there anything between college and you getting to billings montana and now being on no normal people today like what are the major like movements of your life that get you to today any that you would want to mention as like big formative moments between college i know it's a huge question and it's very broad and it can be a little daunting but I haven't figured out a better way to ask the question, but I just want to know about fine. more of your life between college and now. Totally. Yeah. I moved up to Billings. I was in Fort Collins after I graduated like six months and, uh, I was really like, do I move to Denver or do I move to Billings? Because I had been coming up here and touring with Alex Nauman and Eric Olson. Oh, okay. Like every six months for the, for like the, you know, three years before I was out of college. Sure. And, um, Eric Olson and I were old best friends. Like we had known each other since I was like 12. And, um, I, you know, I had a long phone call with Alex and Eric and I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to move up to Billings. And I had this idea in my mind and I had talked to them and I was like, this, this can happen. Like you guys are down. Right. And I don't know if you know the band bad, bad, not good. I don't, I'm not familiar. They're a Canadian group, but it's like drums, piano, bass, uh, sax. But they do like instrumental hip hop type stuff. Sure. And when I moved to town, Eric, Alex, Parker Brown and I were doing that sort of stuff. And we went under the name Big Sword. Okay. And I had thought and and painted this reality in my mind that like we would tour and do this stuff. Me and my buds. Man, we did like a couple shows and I remember we were rehearsing originals and we all just like got in this huge fight and it was like done. Like we played that show and then we were done with Big Sword. Whoa. Uh, Okay. Yeah. And I had a big chip on my shoulder about that because in my eye, I had moved up here for doing, you know, stuff like that with them. 
So right around that time, Drew McManus had been talking to me a bunch and he is the lead singer and songwriter of the band Satsung, uh, which is spelled S-A-T-S-A-N-G. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I started working with him a bunch. He had like a little band change. It used to be guitar and mandolin. And he changed it to guitar, bass, and drums. And I ended up going on the road with him and Carl for two years. And the band like kind of blew up. Then we were opening for groups like Michael Franti and Trevor Hall and Nako and Medicine for the People and wow, all these other people. And it was kind of like what I had wanted to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it wasn't like jiving with me. And I remember the last tour we did was three months long. And I like had a panic attack midway through. I, which I hadn't had before. And it was uh, like, my stress level was so high and I just knew I couldn't keep doing it. So I Mm. quit the band. Mm. Yeah. Which was really tough, man. It was, it was, I got so much shit from like Satsung fans and um, I I shouldn't say that. I didn't get a bunch of shit from fans, but you know, a lot of people reached out to me and stuff and, um, I don't know. I was kind of like radio silence on my end. Cause I didn't know how to like handle that mm. coming out of that. Eric Olson, Parker Brand, and I started big sky trio, which is just a jazz trio. And we were all going to do like original stuff. We cut a record. I think we did like three of my tunes, two mm. or three of Eric's. And then we did two standards. And, um, I was teaching at Sheridan college with those guys at the time down in Wyoming, Mm. we would go down originally once a week and then it went to like once a month. Right. And basically I was spending a bunch of time with those guys. We were playing all these gigs and stuff. And this, this is the group that like in the beginning I was talking about where, uh, we were spending Mm. so much time with each other, both personally and professionally that, uh, yeah, those lines got blurred and all of these things in my personal life, I was seeing someone at the time, that wasn't going too hot. I was dealing with like my own like alcohol issues, hmm. um, dealing with like my own depression and then we're, like noticing these trends in that group and just with like some of the people I was working with in the music scene that was just like really unhealthy and I just didn't like, and like, no, not to throw anything towards those guys at all. I mean, they're great people. I don't know. I think, uh, honestly, I think there was just a part of me that was like, kind of like self-actualizing that was just like, I don't know if this (laughs) is actually what I want to be chasing full time. Yeah. And also like, I don't know if I want to be in this relationship anymore. I don't know if I want to keep staying sad and I don't know if I want to keep drinking. So I quit that group. I quit taking gigs. I broke up with that girlfriend. I started taking antidepressants and I quit drinking. Wow. And that is a big, yeah, that is like five big things that all happen at once. Yes. And right after that, I was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. Like this is my life. I'm going to try to do as much stuff 
that I want to do as I can. Mm. And as a drummer, I was always supporting other people's stuff, which don't get me wrong. I I'm totally down with, but it wasn't like my dream, you know, I was supporting other people's dreams. Wow. And as someone like, not to use like alpha or beta, but like I kind of am a leader and I have like, you know, I'm like a sensitive alpha. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I just, I just knew like, yeah, I just knew like there's something that's not fulfilling me and I feel like I need to do some stuff for me. Mm. So all that stuff happened. I was sober and then I started stand up comedy which immediately I was just like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I auditioned for this improv group and got in, started doing improv. And then I started this podcast and the podcast I had wanted to do for like five years previous. But every time I would bring it up, uh, actually this is one thing I would bring it up to that girlfriend and she would just be like, Oh my God everyone's got a podcast. Like you don't need a podcast or like, Oh, like that's so dumb. That's I reject that thinking. I have three podcasts and I want more. (laughs) Yes. And, and I around like after her, we split up like, like right after I listened to this interview, I forgot who was with, but they mentioned, I think everyone should have a podcast because a podcast is one of the best ways you can take note of your life and yeah. have it like like future generations of your kids could can hear your voice telling your story right and i was like you know what yeah screw it i like if it's not great it's not great but regardless i'm doing it for me it's for me right it doesn't I, have to be for yeah. a huge like spotify audience to sell the ads to keep the machine running you know Totally. And I, I, I do it out of just as you do. Like, um, actually I have to say, I think this podcast, no normal people is one of the most beautiful, unique things like it. Steven, what you're doing here is so amazing. Oh, wow. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. And, and like, like the mission statement and everything of this is just the most caring, thoughtful thing. I love it. Wow. But yeah. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, for real. And I kind of felt the same way. Like I wanted to do interviews and give people a platform to tell their story. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I basically wanted to do like Conan O'Brien, but long form. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I guess that's how we got to here. You know, that's very good. This is kind of crazy. During the during the shutdown, I started doing theater and I have done a few plays. Oh, really? Over this pandemic. Yeah. And then I, um, I did some acting in Colorado mm-hmm. at, like for fun. And, um, I started doing it for real here now that like, there's a lot of films being shot in Montana. So I've been fortunate enough to kind of dip into that pool. Wow, man. That's, those are so many things going on. I love all of this. Would you quickly tell me what you do for work right now? Because following you on Instagram, you're making, you're helping make some delicious food for the Billings community that I am also a big fan of. Yeah. I, um, I work at Harper and Madison, which is a patisserie. It used to be a restaurant, but now it's a full on patisserie. We do have some savory options, Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, for those who don't know, it's a beautiful bakery 
right by the hospitals in Billings, Montana. Amazing coffee, as you know, by Gary from Revel Coffee. Oh, yes. And in Joni Swords, who owns and is the head baker at the shop, everything's made fresh daily and everything's made from scratch. For the most part, you know, obviously, like there's some stuff that we can do from scratch, but Mm -hmm. man, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I have a really hard time not eating the food (laughs) there every time I'm there. Like actually, I literally had a caramel roll right right before I came home. Oh, excellent. Yeah. No, I I believe it. That's a very tempting place to work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. For someone who has little self-control, it's it's difficult. To, <laughs> mm, yeah, I can relate. I think that shop, where it is, like I think it's the most charming place to go in the most charming neighborhood of Billings. I love that area. I love sitting on the patio. It's just everything about it is vibe, and I'm a huge fan of it. So Yes, same, same, man. Um, so speaking of Joni and speaking of your podcast, um, both Joni's episode of Keller's Couch and Rick Darge, those were the first two episodes of the show I listened to. I was traveling for okay. work and uh, I honestly forget how Keller's Couch came on my radar. It might have been an Instagram thing, but I was like, oh yeah, another show. Oh, whoa. And the guys from Billings, I should definitely listen because it was in in the height of me like with no normal people on the juice for like, let's get as many people on the show as possible. So found Keller's couch. Rick's episode was the first one I listened to. And then I went and watched his stuff and I was like, okay, I trust Keller to bring me cool people. Cause this is just, this is awesome. Joni's Joni's episode, uh, Tyler Murphy, Meg Gildahouse. Like I love everything about the show. I love the mythology of the couch that I've heard. From this point. So like <laughs> you go to start a podcast and of course, one of the first questions after you get over like, wow, everyone has a podcast. Do I, should I really do it? Like after you get over that hump, the next question is what the heck do I name it? So tell me about why you decided to name it after some furniture. <laughs> yeah. So, um, great question. I was very deliberate in like the idea of what I was going to do. And all of these things about the podcast, like how I was going to promote it, where I was going to, where it could be streamed on, you Mm -hmm. know, what the theme was going to be. Now, the names, I literally had a list of like 50 (laughs) names. And the brainstorm. And Keller's Couch. Yeah. Keller's Couch was not even in the final three. And I can't even remember like the i i don't even think i considered keller's couch as a name because i don't want to be the guy that's like making it about him you know mm, yeah and uh, so like i had all these names for it that were like funny or like what i thought were like kind of cool and and honestly i don't remember any of them but i forgot who it was i was talking to someone and it was just like like your name should be in it or at least like feet with Keller Paulson, you know, so people right. know. And I was like trying to be like humble, like, oh no, I don't want to, you know. Well, yeah, and, in uh, in hindsight, that's that was probably a smart move for the the shows I host that I didn't even, I didn't, I haven't taken that advice yet. And uh, it does seem like a good idea in hindsight. Yeah. 
I, um, I mean, your shows have great names, I have to say. And um, mine, I forgot what it was. Like, I don't know. There was something like at the time I had a studio that I taught at. And the couch was where I was going to be recording the episodes. Mm, yeah. And I knew I wanted a photographer. And I was like, well, people are going to see like the guest on the couch all the time. Maybe I should play off of that. And honestly, part of what it was too, is I was like, my friend, Mary Kate Teske, who was one of the first guests, she did the, all the graphics for Mm -hmm. it. And I knew like a couch decal would be like a really cool sticker. Oh yeah. And I knew like skate skateboarder me would, would want that sticker. (laughs) And, um, that's so good. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, like, screw it. I'm just going to market the couch. The couch is the thing. It's just going to be about the couch. Yeah. Cause it's, it's basically you're like, you're hosting kind of like your own version of an open mic night. And instead of throwing someone up on stage, you're throwing, you're sitting them down on the couch and the photographer gets to make that like the whole thing. Yeah. Even the, like, like I, <laughs> I never recorded it, but like I even wrote an intro song and like had lyrics to it and it was all about like you know come on down feel free to slouch because we're kicking it here on keller's couch (laughs) or whatever you know and it was like powerful just like this is yeah yeah, (laughs) yes this will connect with the audience what you do is you record that you save it for when you start putting bonus episodes out for like patrons or something and that's like the theme music for the patreon seriously yeah seriously keep that in your back pocket that's pretty powerful i i've always (laughs) wanted to ask since i started listening to the show where do you get your music i've always wanted to ask if it's you and some buddies performing yeah so the the intro music was um down in colorado i led a quintet the keller paulson quintet and um, nice and we just played yeah we just played a bunch of my own originals and that was that's a song called something, something stomp. And that was a recording, like, like actually the piano, like the sound of the piano is so shitty, but, uh, that was a live recording we did for a radio station down in Colorado. Wow. Um, Yeah. Just for like, I didn't want to have to deal with, uh, royalties and, you know, paying (sighs) stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I own this music. I'll use this. And then the outro music is, Another original of mine, it's like the end of, uh, it's Eric Parker and I, Big Sky Trio, mm-hmm. one of the tunes on that record. And it's just like that towards the end of the song, I think. And um, it's just a nice little, you know, I think I'm talking over it. Nice little background piece. Yeah. The tunes you chose for both the opening, because the opening definitely has enough, like, I like it because it, it gives a little, like, frenetic energy to, like, what, like... <laughs> You always introduce your, you also always introduce Ryan as the naked photographer. And that just also sets up something about the tone, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, I think the music, yeah, 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 the music totally. sets you up to expect something off the wall like that. And then the end though, it, it sounds, totally. it sounds like the end of like a Prairie Home Companion, you know, we're reading the credits and it's like, thank you for joining <laughs> us at Lake Wobegon. And I just... <laughs> It's just all peaceful and yeah. Even actually, when I recorded that the outro, I remember thinking like I could, I just got to do this as like sweet as I can. It's 
Thank you for listening. It's very good. Yeah, it's very soothing. It's like the landing gear is coming down. The flight attendant is like, please put your trays up. We're about to finish. <laughs> It'll just be a moment. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you can get your phones out in a second. We're fine. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's so good. So you you used to have a lot more of the improv episodes on the show. Part of me guesses that you've since pivoted because now you're performing improv live here in Billings, what seems like every week at least. So tell me about getting into the local comedy scene, improv and stand up. Yeah, man. Like I said earlier, I always wanted to be on whose line is it anyway? Getting into improv was honestly one of the scariest things I did like auditioning for it. Cause I had never I had never been like doing that thing on stage. Right. I was always like shielded behind a drum set in the back of the stage. And I, I remember I went into the audition and was just like, you know what? I'm just going to commit fully to this no matter how stupid <laughs> I am or how much I suck at this. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I guess like, like my friends since told me like, like when we were out in the hall and they were like trying to choose who, was gonna be in it like I was the only unanimous yes which is nice that feels good for the ego right but there's some more affirmation for you yeah (laughs) yes but the stand-up was I think my part of like I need to do something for me Mm. and there's nothing more like self-centered than (laughs) stand-up and um, that reminds me of so many Bo Burnham bits right it's like look at me oh (laughs) yes Speaking of which, I just watched Inside yesterday, and oh my god, that are was, you what an, an emotional wreck now? What the hell? He has no right to make that I, so heavy and so funny. Yeah i I am awestruck. I have no words. It's <laughs> literally one of the best things I've experienced. Completely um, agree. Complete. I I, I really yeah. do feel like he captured the emotional roller coaster of what it felt like in the first, like, you know, March through May of 2020. Yeah. 100%. But yeah, doing stand up. So that was kind of the first thing I did. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, if you want to like work on like fear of being in front of people speaking, public speaking, go do some stand up. And I thought, I was funny, like, yeah, I'm really funny at parties and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But I never took into consideration the fact that, like, when you're, like, funny with people, it's a dialogue. Like, it's coming back and forth. Whereas stand-up is one-directional. It's monologue, right? you know? And so my f- my first time up, like, I did well. I did, like, uh, surprisingly well. But I realized, like, oh, I don't really have any punchlines. I'm just telling funny things. So for the sake of like, I have to say it's like the hardest puzzle I've ever done Mm. is trying to write jokes. Mm. And so I love it. I love it for that because it's like, I don't know. It feels like a really fun, difficult game to me. And it's all for me. Right. And so I love that. I have to imagine you vividly remember the first time you like, bombed uh yeah (laughs) i do 
Oh man! And you I know what I, it was. I, I hate I, hearing I, from comedians uh, yeah. that like everyone has to experience that because I've I've always had like out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, I want to try stand up one day, but I don't. I don't like the idea <laughs> of bombing. That's just is absolutely terrifying to me. <laughs> Dude, I yeah, totally. I think because of like my experience learning how to audition as a classical musician mm-hmm. and dealing with nerves mm. and stuff. I think I and and just from like practicing how to like center yourself when you're in a kind of a a space that might get you into a fight or flight, mm, you know? Yeah, totally. Which for anyone listening, um, learn how to control your breath, meditate, and read the book, The Inner Game of Tennis. That's, oh, those will help you. There it is. Breath work, man. Like, honestly, it's like the one thing that no one really ever pays attention to. But like, I even teach kids this, but one of the best things you could do, I, I call it four square breathing which is just like you inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. Mm. But you do it with your belly. And like just doing that like three times, immediately you feel so much like calmer and better. It's amazing. Mm. But um, Right. So yeah, like when you're in on stage and like not doing well, like remembering to breathe is huge. But yeah, my, I mean, I have to agree. I feel like every, every stand up has to bomb and it's unavoidable. Like you can't just do well every time. And, um, boy, it's tough, <laughs> but luckily I feel like I'm kind of like just goofy and like witty and dumb that I, I, I feel like I limped through it, but you know what it was is I, I had this voice in the back of my mind that was just like, man. I, I feel like I can only just like make fun of white people. (laughs) So I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to write all these white people jokes. And I did it to this room of just all white people. And literally no one laughed the whole time. It was just like, I had a set list that I was like, yeah, this is 10 minutes. I was done in two. (laughs) Ouch. It, dude. Oh, just like, oh my God. Like this is rough. And, um, you know, I limped my way through and I hung around. I feel like I didn't take it personally or anything, but it was, man, time is relative because (laughs) those were the longest two minutes of my life. And I've ran on a treadmill. Extreme. Yes. (laughs) I ran on a treadmill. That's a punchline right there. That's very good. Man, yeah, extreme time dilation at that moment. I so oh. speaking of like controlling your breathing, uh meditation, like mindfulness in the inner game of tennis, like do you remember what was going on in your head as your mouth was trying to tell the jokes that no one was laughing at? Oh, Stephen, I <laughs> So uh yes. Well, one the joke is what we think is all of the stand-up material. But really, there's so much in like timing, delivery, cadence, and... Um, or facial like expression, do, right? Like there's so much body. Totally. But yeah, body language. Like mm. you're... Man, there's so much that helps 
sell a joke. And man, when you like, usually you get up on stage and you do like one joke. When I get my first laugh, like I kind of, I kind of chill out. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a safe space. Like I'm settling in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the rest of the show, the rest of my set is usually, you know, okay. Not getting your first laugh. You get kind of tense and you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll move on to the next one. Mm. Not getting the second one. Then you're just like, oh, oh my God. Oh shit. <laughs> this, nothing is going to work. Nothing will work on these people. Mm. And, uh, and I haven't been doing it long enough to like learn how to just be like, scrap it and we're flying by the seat of our pants or what. But so basically what I was talking about with cadence and pacing and stuff, everything sped up because I was just like, oh shit, uh, this isn't working. Okay. Um, <laughs> so a uh, guy walked in the bar and, mm. and, and on top of that, then I start fumbling over my words. <laughs> so I'm sure there was a portion of it that people were just like, what is he even saying? I can't understand what he's saying. Ouch. And ouch. Yeah. And it, I remember, I don't remember the joke, but I do remember being in the middle of the setup and having this self-reflection, knowing that the punchline won't land <laughs> and just being, and literally I, I, in that moment, I was like, do I just give up on the joke? Do I just like leave them hanging and just end my set? And I didn't. And I literally like got to the the end and I was just like, all right, I think I'm done guys. Thanks. And just left. Wow. Yeah. And I'm imagining like the thing that happens in movies when you go to put the mic back on the stand and it like screams back at you with feedback and it's just super, (laughs) super awkward. Right. Like, oh man, everyone's watching you, listening to you. And it was bad. Oh man. Jeez. Yeah, it's so bad. Uh I promise this is related because you described speeding up when you got nervous. When you drum, are you typically a rusher or a dragger? Great question. So, it depends upon the tempo, but most of the time I most of the time I play on the back side of the beat, so it feels sluggish, but when I'm tense, I rush. Mm, okay. Yeah. So the same yeah. instinct was taking over in the comedy routine. Totally. Huh. Totally. And it's, it's funny, even the comedy routine, like if I'm feeling comfortable, same thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I always tell people, I think it's because I have a big mouth, but like it, <laughs> it takes me a long time to say words and stuff. Sure. Like I, I don't speak that fast. So yeah, I kind of sit in the back seat when I'm, Doing my thing. Right. Just just lay back, let it happen. Lay back, let it happen. That's very good. Who are some like uh, comedians that you look up to while you're writing or like to grab inspiration from? Yeah. Well, my my favorite of all time is Dave Chappelle. I he was the first one I found on my own. And uh I had never heard anyone tell jokes the way that he did Mm -hmm. and and they were just like funny stories but they had punchlines and stuff and um dave chappelle yeah he's he's a genius yeah um yeah i love george carlin a lot but i will say like recently someone who i've been kind of 
obsessed with is Mark Normand, who's a lot more classic in his approach to comedy. Like he just write, writes like straight up jokes. Mm, and yeah. And, um, I don't know. He's his craft craftsmanship of joke writing is very admirable. And he is that like classical joke style, uh, kind of like a Dimitri Martin. It's just like set up and punchline, set up and punchline over and over. Kind of. But Dimitri Martin is an alt guy because he he kind of similar to like Bo Burnham. He kind of blends between doing like stand up and then having these extra things, you know, whether it's his pad of oh you know, yeah. paper and stuff like that. That's true. Mark Norm. Yeah. Mark Normand, I would actually say is more like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, except uh, dirty. Ah, okay. Yeah. And his jokes are, and I mean, comedy in general is basically a reveal to everyone it's it's a reveal of a common truth, basically, that we don't think about, you know? Mm. That's comedy. Mm. So someone bringing to light, like, something that we all agree upon that we never think about. What would you tell someone, why am I framing it like that? What would you tell me if I, I'm terrified that your advice is basically going to be like, just write it and you have to do it. But like, what do you tell someone who's curious about getting into stand up? Like, do you have any go-to advice at this point? Yeah. I mean, my advice would be from a literal standpoint, like hold the microphone close to your mouth. Something that really sucks is when someone goes up for their first time and they're, they're scared of the microphone and then you don't even get to hear what they're trying to say, you know? Right. So hold the mic close to your mouth. Uh, before you get on stage, like just take three deep breaths and just tell yourself like it's terrifying as hell. Yes, but just try to have a good time. And we're just joking, you know, right? Like just up there having a good time. I will say this based off of what you were dis, uh, premising your question with stand up is basically the only art form that you can only rehearse and practice it in front of people. Wow. Whereas like everything, yeah, everything else, like as a writer, you could practice, you know, you can write your book and go through drafts and, you know, show it to an editor. Wow. With painting, you can, you know, work on a, you know, one still life multiple times until you get it right with drums, like, you know, or any musical instrument, like you, you practice in your room before you go in front of an audience. Mm. Stand up doesn't work that way. And I will say, uh, multiple times I will like go to an open mic and have all new material and I'll have material that I think is going to kill and material that I'm like, don't think is going to get any response. And it's always the opposite. The stuff that I think is going to kill doesn't really get much of a laugh. And the stuff that really I, yeah, every single time, every single time. Okay. But so I'm sure that informs your, your writing process now. Not that you're like intentionally writing stuff that you don't think is going to, but it's like, it's almost, it reminds me of the way Mike Berbiglia just like creates an entire stack of index cards. And he's like, yes, you just have to get it all on paper and then, you know, (laughs) and then just find the ones that work. Yeah. 
I mean, seriously, there's similar to like journaling. Like if you're going through something like there, there is something to like just getting it out wow. and being able to see it. Wow. Because yeah. when it's, when it's in your head, it's hard to organize it, you know? Right. Yeah. Seth Godin talks about all the time is like, if you want to write, you should start writing every day and putting it out there. And even if it's bad for the first thousand, like something good is bound to slip through eventually. Yeah. And, and I mean, like everyone that is a success, like people focus on like the stuff that they killed at. Right. Right. When in reality, like all of these people had so much bullshit out there too, that was not great. Right. Yeah, totally. I'm curious to ask outside of, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're staying pretty busy among work, drums, comedy, podcasting, but are there any other hobbies you like to practice things that just like occupy time that you do for fun? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love reading. And one thing I miss about touring is you're on the road so much. Like I would in like a two week tour, I would crush like four books. Nice. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading a lot more. I love movies. I watch a lot of movies Mm -hmm. and, um, I love just being outside. I'm trying to camp more, but very unsuccessfully. (laughs) Are the extreme sports something of the past now, or do you still like skate or snowboard or anything? Yeah. You know, snowboarding, it's just so expensive that I, I haven't gone much (laughs) in the past couple of years. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, um, in skateboarding, I actually started skating again when the pandemic hit mm. and, you know, I was surprised at how quickly I, I picked some stuff up, but I, I went to this middle school that had this stair set and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to send it. Like I got to do this for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I hadn't skateboarded in my adult body and I hit this you know, it was like a five star or something, which isn't that big, but I, dude, I bailed so hard, but I just kept doing it. I was like, I gotta, like, I gotta land this. Like I have to get past this hurdle for me. Yeah. Right. And the next two weeks I had the hugest bruise on the side of my thigh and I was just like, wow, I'm not a kid anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just in so much pain. Right. So I'm trying to, integrate skateboarding at least once a week back into my life, mm. but it's hard. It's bailing is hard mm. because it hurts a lot more. Do you use like longboard as a method of travel? I don't, but I've got a penny board. Oh, um, okay. And I love penny boarding. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Do you like to follow any particular morning or evening routines? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think having a routine is actually really beneficial for, for me. And I feel like we are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every day I wake up, you know, I work at six. So, uh, take this in a relative fashion. Yeah. Every day I wake up at four, I make a cup of coffee. I do a Sudoku puzzle. I read, I meditate I do some stretches and some foundation training and then, um, I shower and go to work. And, um, when I'm not working, not in my work week, I'll spend more time reading and more time stretching. Yeah. That's pretty much my morning routine. I like that a lot. 
in my, my nighttime routine is, um, I don't know. I'm always working, you know, like I used to do this in school too, where I was like constantly like, like when I was in school, I would practice until like midnight mm. and then I'd like, you know, go to bed and then get up and do it again. Right. And I still do that. So like, I find myself still working, whether it's like writing jokes or editing podcast or, you know, stuff like that. I'm always working. And recently I've took upon myself, like I have to stop and like wind down before I go to bed. Otherwise I'm going to go to bed stressed. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, at the end of the night, I guess it's not necessarily a routine, but I, I'll usually like watch TV or play a little, uh, Skyrim. Excellent. Every now and then I might pound a pint of ice cream. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That was all, definitely my routine in the pandemic. I was, oh my gosh, I was, man. Yeah, I was I was slamming pints Absolutely. left and right. Do you have a go-to? <laughs> What's your ice cream? Man, I was doing milk and cookies by Ben and Jerry. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Which is, you know, Stephen, I'm not going to lie. I literally had a pint of milk and cookies last night. <laughs> That's great, man. That's very good. Uh, I'm a chocolate yeah. chip cookie dough from Ben and Jerry's myself. That's my go-to. Yes. Yeah. I like yeah, those I've big doing... globs of dough in there. So good. Oh, man. Yeah. Dangerous. Yes. yes seriously. <laughs> oh, uh, man. That is, that is very excellent. I am conscious of the fact that we are nearing the end of our time here, Keller. I am sure you and I could talk forever if we were allowed to. I've, I've, yes. I'm delighted by everywhere we've covered in this conversation. Same. Are there any questions that you wished I would have asked you by now that you still want to answer? Ooh, man, what a great question for your guests. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. I don't think so. Pretty comprehensive. I, I have one here at the end that I missed before. Who do you okay. think is the most overrated drummer? Oh, um... Dude, Justin Bieber. <laughs> For sure, Justin Bieber, man. That's a great answer. Now I'm thinking about yeah. Bruno Mars playing drums at that one Super Bowl halftime show, oh, too. What? Yeah, that was, yeah. Justin Bieber is the exact right answer. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so good. All right, so I have some closing questions before we get out of here. Cool. My first one is, what are you currently reading? Oh, I'm... Uh... So I'm one of those guys that reads like, uh, like three books at once. Great. Me too. Uh, Kindred spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm currently reading true and false by David Mamet. And it's totally just like, uh, it's for actors. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. It's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, um, so I'm reading that. I'm also reading misery by, uh, Stephen King. Oh, nice. That's my first Stephen King book, actually. And I, I found this book at yesteryears. They kind of reached out to me, but I'm reading The Tao of Leadership, hmm. which uh, I'm a fan of ancient uh, philosophies like Eastern European and Asian. And I'm very comfortable and familiar with the Tao. So I figured, you know what? I'm in a spot of leadership. I should check this out and it's been yeah it's been really great that sounds great i love that what are you currently watching any shows you're in the middle of or youtube that you're really into 
You know, I don't want watch a lot of shows, but I do love like limited series or like one season storylines, mm-hmm. you know, like true detective and stuff like that. Right. And surprisingly enough, I don't watch a lot of comedies. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So the last thing I watched was Mayor of East Town, mm. uh, which is an HBO show with Kate Winslet. And I watched the first episode and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And, uh, but a lot of people were, I, I kept seeing it a lot and I continued with the show and it is amazing. <laughs> they oaked you. They got you. Man. Yeah. That was the last show that I watched. So I'm Very currently nice. showless. If anyone's trying to like send a psychological thriller my way. What are you currently listening to? Let's start with podcasts. Okay. I just did a lot of driving recently and I um listened to a lot of WTF, which is Mark Marin's podcast. Yep. A classic. Yeah, I I just love you know, there's no bullshit with him. <laughs> uh so I I like that. I used to skip ahead in his intro. His intros are so long, they're like fifteen minutes in length. Right. And I used to skip ahead, but I started listening to him and man, they are so entertaining. Just the stuff he rambles about. Yeah, there there is a real talent of podcasting alone. It's very different from interviewing or like co-hosting a show. <laughs> and people yeah. who can do it well, I think it's very impressive. Plus, he's the guy I, who interviewed freaking Obama. So <laughs> I know, man, that's so <laughs> nuts to me. He was like the first one to do that. Come on. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a legend. But um yeah, so WTF, I listened to Conan's podcast too. Mm-hmm. And um man, I really want to get into more like story podcasts, but I I just don't really know what to what to listen to. You know, I listened to S Town and I loved that, but mm. there's just so many, you know, it's hard to hard to pick and choose. Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely is. Um I'll be thinking about that. I'll DM you on Instagram about a few ideas. Yeah, let me know. What let about know. what about music? What comes up right now when you open like a a streaming service or pull out the records? Yeah. Well, I listen to a lot of soul and hip hop and stuff. So I've been re going through Common's discography. Common, the rapper, mm. Chicago rapper. Mm. But that I've been. Um, listening to a lot of like old sixties, uh, like what I call soul jazz recordings. So Mm. I've been listening to like a lot of Stanley Turrentine, who's a tenor sax player. And, um, Oh man, I, I actually just made this playlist of like old classic rock tunes that I used to listen to in high school too. I've been playing a lot of that. So a lot of like the faces and, uh, excellent deep, yeah, Deep Purple. Yep. Hendrix. That's all very good. That's all very powerful. Um Keller, will you tell everyone where they can find you online between you and your podcast and any other projects you want to shout out? Yeah, you could find me on Instagram at Keller Paulson. The podcast I host called Keller's Couch is on Facebook and Instagram at Keller's Couch. For those local who are interested, you including, sir, you could check out Slapstick Improv, which uh, I run. We're always kind of, I'm kind of thinking about holding the auditions soon, but we perform, yeah, three times a month. 
And that's on Facebook, Slapstick Improv Comedy. Also, I only have one single out, but if you want to listen to a tune I made with some friends over the pandemic, you could find me on all streaming services under just Keller. And the song is called Begging for Rain. Love it. Well, once again, Keller, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I'm delighted with this whole thing. This was a blast. Man, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Would you close the show by reading our favorite quote for the podcast? I would love to. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Thank you for joining us. You can follow the Hennings on Instagram and Twitter at Stephen G. Henning and at Dixie Lee Henning. Our theme music is composed and performed by Stephen and Dixie Henning and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Austin Smith. Our artwork is designed by Dixie Lee Henning. Find more of her work at DixieLeeDraws.com, at DixieLeeDraws on both Instagram and TikTok, and at DrawsDixie on Twitter. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Every episode, we pair a new and delicious cocktail with a roundtable discussion about philosophy, politics, or current events. Whether we're tackling the January 6th Capitol riots or Twitter's censorship faux pas, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our world. Or we discuss the unanswerable philosophical questions like if mankind is fundamentally good or evil. And I discover I might be a communist. So follow the Whiskey Bench if you're into questions like these. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.